Show me the money. This is the MoneyWeb Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rake Fanika. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. It's a podcast where I speak to professional investors about their investment journeys and why they pursued a career to manage other people's money. We will also peek into their personal investment portfolios and discuss the best and worst investments ever. And the idea is to find those golden nuggets from their perspectives and experiences to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Jacobus Lecoq. He is a micro strategist and a portfolio manager at Fairtree. He co-manages the Fairtree Balanced Fund, the Fairtree Bond Fund and an alternative fixed income strategy. He's been in the industry since 2004 and spent five years at Goldman Sachs Asset Management in London, where he was the head of fixed income and currency product management. He is a CFA charter holder with a BCom Honours in Economics, and he received that from the University of Stellenbosch. Jacobus, thank you so much for joining me. First of all, tell us about where you grew up and when did you decide you wanted to be an asset manager? Yeah, thanks, Drake, and thanks for the uh, for the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in the Northern Cape, on a farm in the Northern Cape. I went to school in Uppington, and then I studied in, in Stellenbosch. I did uh, economics. Um, actually, I started with mathematics, and then I discovered economics in my second year. And, uh, you know, I really got interested in the, in the world of economics, in the dynamism of, you know, the different things that drives the world. And so I went into econometrics and did my... Um, my degree in e- econometrics and then my honors in financial economics. Um, so it was really the interest that, that drove me into, into the world of, I would say, finance and, and economics and big thinking. Um, my sister did, um, did accounting. Fortunately, I realized very early on, I'm not going to be looking into balance sheets and income statements of companies. I would much rather look at uh, what's happening globally in the world around me and, and what drives markets. Were you interested in investments when you were still at school or uh, at varsity? No, I think um, it started at varsity. Um, at school, I, 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 I read up a lot about what's happening in the world. So um, from there, you, you, you get into what's driving markets and, and, and you know different asset classes. But I think the real interest came in at university. Um, and, and I believe my first, my first investment was in my second year. Um, I remember it was a uh, dimension data, um, that was during the, uh, the big IT, uh, rally of the, of the late nineties into the two thousands. Did you buy it on the way up or on the way down? <laughs> I think I buy close to the top <laughs> and, uh, luckily I, I, I put a, a stop loss in. Uh, after I've made some, you know, some some money, I put a stop loss in, and I remembered, um, you know, some volatility triggered my stop loss, and I called the broker, and and we had like a heated argument uh, back then um, on the the three dimension data shares that I owned about why my my stop loss was triggered because the price never never reached the uh, the stop loss, so so that was my first entry into into investment um, into the investment world. Yeah, but moving from Economics to the investment world is also not a, 
a logical path. When did you make that transition? So that wasn't an easy transition, to be to be honest. Um, I went from studying economics at university. Um, I did apply for a couple of um, you know positions in South Africa, but quickly realized that I was better off you know trying overseas. So this was 2001. I went to the UK. I remember back then this was just after the the, the big dot com bubble um, and that burst. So there wasn't really any jobs in the investment world. So I used the little bit of accounting that I did at, at university and uh, and became a financial analyst or you know on contract for, for a few quarters. Um, that transitioned into a data analyst at the other company, also on a contract basis. And then that transitioned into uh, becoming a treasury analyst for a bigger European group where I was involved in you know, hedging the group's uh, currency and interest rate um, risks. But I always knew that I wanted to get into investments. Um, it was just not the right part of the cycle. So I did my the CFA just to you know to to to, to equip myself for that world. Um, I applied for for many jobs, and I got an interview with Goldman Sachs um, in two thousand and seven. That must have been interesting. <laughs> it was certainly a fairly junior role. I didn't get that job. I then applied again for a role at Goldman's. Um, a year afterwards, and then I got that job. Um, so I went through the whole 15 interviews, got the job. And I remember, so this was when I was 28 years old, 2007. Um, the first time that I woke up in, you know, uh, a morning that I knew I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. You know, up until that point, I knew that that I wanted to get into the investment world, but I wasn't there yet. But at that point, I realized, look, I'm probably going to work much harder than I've ever worked in my life. But this is what I want to do, and this is what what motivated me. But I just to take a step back, I want to maybe just explain, especially for for people getting into the industry and for youngsters, you really have to figure out who you are. You know, there's a big investment world out there in terms of you know investment banking, commercial banking, asset management, and then within asset management, there's different asset classes and there's different divisions within um, uh, asset management, and you need to figure out exactly who you are as a person and what asset class and what sort of environment will really suit your personality. So I knew I was more of a fundamental macro guy and asset management would, would suit me better and fixed income. And so that's what I applied for. And that's eventually where my, where my career ended up in fixed income and in currency and more of a macro perspective on, on where things are going in the world. That is a very interesting perspective. Uh, am I right in saying if you're a, a Aggressive by nature, you should focus on equities. If you're more conservative, uh, focus on fixed income. How do you marry your personality with an asset class or an investment strategy? Well, I think it's really the strategy, less so the asset class, because there's different styles and strategies within each asset class. Um, so it's really the, the, the strategy that you need to figure out You know what works for you and what doesn't. Are you able to sleep at night with an enormous amount of risk on your book? Are you a person that, that gets agitated by moves in the wrong direction and then want to move the other way? You know, can you absorb long trends um, that goes against you um, knowing that your thesis will ultimately play out? So, you know, so it comes down to, I guess, also, are you, you know, I know Clem Santa in his book and, you know, some of the uh, Greek philosophers talked about, uh, are you a hedgehog or a fox? Uh, fox being a person that is, that is, um, you know, could look at different changes, look at the world from different perspectives, that maybe doesn't have a high conviction on one particular thing, 
but can take information from all angles and marry it up to form a thesis. Whereas a hedgehog is a person that does one thing very well um, and they're good at that. I think I'm more of a fox and I realize that I don't have an issue, a very strong conviction on one particular thing, knowing that the world can change very quickly and knowing that I don't have all the information at hand all the time. So, um, so I think those type of things to figure that out is probably going to drive you towards what style and what strategy suits you. You can't take on anyone else's style. You know, Buffett has got his own style. Soros has got his own style. You've got to work it out yourself. What is your style? How much time do you have available during the day? How much risk you can absorb? And, you know, how much emotional and capacity you have to to sit through big downturns potentially. But many retail investors will tell you, listen, I just want to make as much money as possible. To invest in the stuff I feel comfortable with may not achieve that goal. What, what would be your response to that? So I'm not a uh, financial advisor, but I've got some some ideas which I think could be valuable in that, you know, one is there's a view out there that maybe what you should do is then be the hedgehog. Get one thing that you follow, you're very good at, and you stick with that. But also knowing that there will be times that um, you will have to take some pain. But at least you've got you, the amount of energy and time that you have available, you apply to one particular thing. If it's one asset class or one stock or one sector, you need to figure that out and you apply that you know, to, to that specific sector or, or field. That's not the view that I would take. You know, I, would, I would much rather say try and get a diversified portfolio. And in terms of high volatility, reduce the size of your positions and, and leave it to professionals where you think you've got some you know, deficit in, in terms of the expertise, but then you know, manage some yourself, a small portion that allows you to stay in the market, to read up, to remain curious. Um, and even if you, you lose out a little bit on, on that portion of your portfolio, the fact that it draws you to, to, to remain curious and, and remain invested in the market um, I think would help you over the long term. But if we all have jobs that takes a lot of our time, and I would say, you know, look at the people that you think is, is best positioned to to manage those portfolios or that portion of your portfolio and, and rather, um, you know, let them manage it. You are a very uh, well-versed and experienced fixed income specialist. And many retail investors will not look at fixed income products as part of an investment strategy or plan because uh, most would look at equities um, and, and some derivative products. How do you think a normal, and, and I say the normal in quotation marks, a retail investor who is using discretionary money or uh, post-tax uh, non-retirement money uh, in a portfolio, how do you think they should look at fixed income as an asset class? Yeah, I think one has to break the fixed income market maybe into three buckets. First, maybe the let's call it money markets, so the short end of, of interest rate curve, where now you can get very attractive yields. If you are willing to lock up or deposit money and lock up for one year, then you get above 8% in yield, which is above inflation. So I think in this environment of high uncertainty, high volatility, that is, is potentially one avenue, you know, one could look at, especially in my view, you know, that we are getting this higher volatility potentially. 
you also want to have something available to invest when the opportunity arises. So if the market you know, drops 10, 15% from here, that'll be a good um, time to, to maybe add some of that cash back into the, to the equity market. So you want to have that, that bit of a cash portion available. The second fixed income bucket, I would say, is credit. So these are you know, enhanced credit or income strategies, which is you know, fairly uh, much, much less volatile. And which gives you that little bit extra above above cash, but you also take a little bit extra risk, which I think is another uh, becoming a much more attractive avenue as we you know go through the cycle at the moment. Um, it hasn't done well, you know, over the last year, but I think if one ha- holds out a little bit, you know, then the conditions will be in place to to make investments in that field. And then on the duration side, which is what I'm more familiar with and in, in, in trading, we really think about. You know, what's happening in the interest rate market, what's happening with inflation, what's happening with, with, with the, the country's finances. And at the moment, you know, bond yields are sitting at, at double figures, you know, 10, 11, 12%, depending on where in the curve you want to invest. Um, so if you have the ability to sit out for maybe a year, two years, then I do think that um, that portion of the market could provide you with double-digit returns. It may not get you to the 20% that the equity market gives you, but it will give you potentially double digit returns. And so this is just part of the fact that I think we've become so used to investing in the equity market and, and, and hoping that the equity market will continue to deliver returns. And I think for the next couple of years, volatility will remain high. The world is becoming more uncertain. And therefore, one has to think about other asset classes as well. So keep your, your equity in investments, but also diversified towards maybe fixed income, have some cash at hand, that you can deploy whenever the opportunity arises. How much do you think or how big a portion of a portfolio do you think should be allocated to fixed income? I think for a, and again, you need to think about the different requirements where people are in their stage of life. Let's say a young person, 30 years old, and uh, again, it's not retirement, uh, saving towards retirement, it's discretionary money. Yeah, so if you think about cash and, and fixed income, then I would say you know up to 20% potentially 20, 25% um, have some available that you can deploy, but the rest, you know, as a, as a hedge in this current environment. So yeah, up to 25%. Do you still have your own personal equity portfolio? And uh, are you actively trading in uh, asset classes not uh, linked to fixed income or cash? Right. I think um, as an investment professional myself, you know, um, having to put all my energy into the markets that I trade, I rather give my equity investments to the team here at Fairtree to manage. You know, so so I, I trust them. They've got great track records. They spend all their time and looking at you know these companies and figuring out where the value is. So so I let them manage the my equity portion of, of my personal portfolio, and then I invest personally into the port into the fixed income portfolios that I manage at at Fairtree. So um, there's no conflict of interest. It, it becomes difficult when you have to suddenly have to sell something in the market. You know, do you trade first for your client or for yourself? You know, you don't want to get into that position. So you want to keep it very clean. I invest in the portfolios that I trade for my clients and, and that keeps you know, things just very, very easy. And it also aligns the interest. So, so that's how I see things. Yeah. Then the, the question most listeners uh, wait for is what has been your best investment ever? And what has been the biggest dog you've ever bought? 
okay, let's start with the best one. It's not necessarily the one that made the most of money, but it's probably the first big trade that I've made with a big mac within the macro trend. And and that was in 2012, 2013. The uh, the yen was very strong. Also, the yen is not something I would typically look at, but we saw an opportunity um, for the yen to depreciate. Um, at that point, if you remember, I don't know if you remember, but um, Abenomics or Senju Abe, he became the, the, the prime minister of Japan. And because of the strength of, of the yen and the policy uh, direction towards you know, becoming more inflationary or reinflationary. Uh, the the BOJ employed, um, you know, much much easier policies. Fiscal policy was relaxed, and there was a lot of uh, restructuring taking place in the economy. So, so Abenomics was really, um, you know, stemming from those three arrows, which they call it. We put the trade on, and it it depreciated by more than fifty percent. We were right positioned for for the trade. That was the yen dollar exchange rate. That that was the yen dollar from two thousand and twelve to two thousand and fifteen. It went over a long period. We traded around different levels. It was wasn't a big position, but it was a trade that I thought as a first big macro trade in the market um, that that we got that we got right that that you know, went on for a couple of years. Those are the trades that you want to be able to identify early on. And sometimes you can be very early in these trades. Um, so you need to look for a catalyst. And the catalyst there was um, was the new PM, Senzo um, Arbe, coming in. And, yeah, we also exited that trade um, very close to the top. So that's a trade that that I think went, went very well. So let's talk about one that didn't go your way. <laughs> in terms of bad trades... You know, I think every portfolio manager will tell you that they've had plenty of bad trades. But what distinguishes a bad trade isn't that you've got it wrong. It's often that you've got it wrong and you were positioned incorrectly and you were emotionally invested. So that's a bad trade. When when you realize you are too big in this trade and that you are emotionally um, you know, invested in this trade. Um, and then the question is, how do you respond to this? Um, because you have to take it on the chin. You've got to realize that you that you were wrong. So I think one of the trades that we um, that, that that I wasn't actually a, I'm being cheeky here by by saying it's a bad trade because we were rightly positioned for the trade. Um, it was the spread between the um, the bond yield in the US in 2018 and uh, the bond yields in Europe, and that spread at that point was 250 basis basis points or 2.5 percent, and we took the view that that difference will come down to about 100 basis points or 150 basis points. And we got confident on the trade because the trade started to work for us in our favor. We got confident on the trade that we can actually you know, manage the timing of this trade. Um, and we got out of the trade uh, at the end of 2019. And then COVID happened. Uh, and so we've missed out on two-thirds of the upside of that trade that we could have could have gotten because we we were too confident that we could time the trade, um, we, and we took everything off instead of just keeping some on, and that would have been a perfect hedge for that environment during COVID, um, because that spread came down to 100 basis points. But you can't foresee that. You can't foresee an international pandemic. But the reason why we had the trade on was exactly for an event like that. You know, for a <laughs> for a hedge that if the US were to to get struck by something go through a cyclical downturn, then then that would be the edge. Um, so we didn't foresee that event, 
but we weren't positioned uh, or we went out of the trade completely instead of, you know, left something on. And then just lastly, uh, do you read a lot? And uh, what books do you think retail investors should read to become a lot better and to become better investors? Yes, right. They, they, there are so many books out there. I, I do read a lot. Um, but, you know, maybe this is the sickness of the day that, um, you know, we, we look a lot on, on, you know, what's going on social media. So I do follow a lot of, um, uh, you know, smart investors on on twitter you know people that's that that's in my industry and that, that that look at the same things that i'm looking at and i get different views you know on a daily basis from from these investors so can you name that, a few that gives there's like alf macro he's a he's a guy that i that i follow yeah i don't have all the handles with me right away i can look at my phone but um but this 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 i think what you need to do is figuring out which ones work for you which ones don't um, and even if you follow someone that you disagree with, that's good because it provides a different angle of things. And, and there's a lot of noise. You need to dig through all the, all the noise. But I do think that there's also very smart people providing, you know, very good information in very absorbable clips and, you know, very short, um, you know, Twitter feeds. And um, I, I, I prefer that to, to follow, to read one book that, you know, on one specific topic. And, yeah, I'd rather take a view that, that I want to be exposed to as, as much as possible. Jacobus, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights and good luck. And may you get the, the next international pandemic. You timed that correctly, <laughs> and but please just let us know before you make the trade. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. That was Jacobus Lecoq. He's a micro strategist and a portfolio manager at Fairtree. Show me the money. <laughs> That was the Money Web, be a better investor podcast with Rake for Kneecap. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the Money Web podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. Money Web, your trusted source for business and investment insights.